How many of you, was that your world, what we just saw there? <laughs> I would dare say most of you probably, right? It gets to the end of the day and you forgot what you did at the beginning because you've done so much. Is your Monday schedule full even before your Friday is done? I dare say for most of us that's probably the case. And for some of you, it's probably Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday are probably full before Friday is done. Does your life look a little bit like this? And that is horrible. <laughs> is your life so jam-packed that there's just not any room for anything else? I believe there are many of us here this morning that are faced with this prospect every single day of our lives, that this is what your life looks like. Our way of life has become so full and so crowded that the thought of going through it has become just absolutely overwhelming. And quite honestly, it takes your breath away when you think about all that's going on in your life. Sometimes, I know I do and I know you guys do too, wish we could take just one minute to stop and breathe. How many of you would admit to being messy people? Wow, a few of you actually admit. How many of your friends or spouses would say you're messy people? <laughs> Probably even more so. <laughs> I have a feeling some of you are looking at this picture behind me and you're quite uncomfortable. I know I am. I hate messes. I mean, it, I, I'm not, I actually can't look at the screen here. There's some, of you, some others of you in this room are like, what? <laughs> I don't see a problem with that at all. That looks like my car or my office or my room, teenagers. The problem with this is not the mess. The problem is that we have grown accustomed to living in and dealing with this kind of mess. It's okay for your car or your room or your office to look like this sometimes. Things go that way on occasion. It is not okay for your life to look like this. We will not thrive long if we have jam-packed every aspect out of our lives and we can't enjoy our lives. We will be miserable quickly if we are trying to fit our finances into this kind of mess. We will give out fast if we try and manage our time this way. And we will lose out on many things and many people and many relationships if we treat them in this manner. More and more of us are living our lives on the edge and we are dangerously close to falling into the abyss. Let's look at the next picture. Isn't that so much better? <laughs> For you clean freaks, you had a hard time sitting through the last couple of minutes, I know. <laughs> Just, I mean, you can relax, you can breathe. Look at that. Life is better with space. 
or something that I like to call breathing room. So what is breathing room in our life? Breathing room can be described as the space between the current pace of life and what your limit is. And unfortunately for most of us, our limits here and our current pace of life is right underneath our limit. We have no room to breathe. There's no breathing room built into our lives. Every single one of us in here has a limit. Whether you want to accept that fact or not, you do. We all have a red line. There's, all, there's a point in every one of our lives where the engine will blow up. If you live life at the limit, you quit enjoying life. In the attempt to get most, the most out of your life, get everything out of it that I possibly can, your life begins to spin and spiral out of control. In order to live a life of faith and trust, there must be a sustainable pace to your life. Breathing room in life allows us to slow down, relax, and enjoy life on the level in which we were meant to enjoy it. If you go back to that messy room picture, you can't enjoy life when, you're li- when you can't enjoy it when your life looks like that picture. So the question I have this morning is: that What drives us to the point of living our life on the edge? Why do we keep saying yes to the things that we shouldn't, and no to the things that we should say yes to? And the answer is a four-letter word: fear. How many of you have thought or said this phrase? If I don't do this, I'm afraid that I might miss out. I'm afraid that I might fall behind somebody else. I'm afraid that I might miss the opportunity of a lifetime. I'm afraid that I might not matter. So fear. Andy Stanley puts it this way. Our fear of not mattering much has the potential to draw us away from what matters the most. Fear will keep us from going deep in the relationships we're in. Fear will keep us from telling our money how to behave and not the other way around. Fear will keep us trying to squeeze more and more out of each minute instead of enjoying the minutes that we have. Fear causes us to cram our life full in order to keep from falling behind when the, in the matter of fact it just causes us to fall apart. A cram-packed life is a faith issue. And more specifically, it is a trust issue. When I cram my life full of things, I'm telling God, you can't do it, so I have to cram my life this way. It's the only way I'm going to make it, is if I do this. What if, God, what if I don't work 60 hours a week? What's going to happen? What if I don't say yes to all these things, God? What, may, what will people think of me? What if? If I don't do all I can do, am I going to trust God that he can fill in the gap? And I think that's a question we're all struggling with this morning. Matthew 6.32 puts it this way. For the world pursues these things, but your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Your heavenly Father knows exactly what you need. What if you lived your life like you really believed that he knew exactly what you needed? Something is going to set the limits of your life, and Doug talked about this last week. Either the world's going to set your limit, or God is going to set your limit. But something sets the limit of your life. We are somehow able to find the breathing room in our, breathing room in our life when we absolutely need it, right? 
a lot of times it occurs at the back end of our life. Let's say you're living your life and you're getting close to retirement and your family's falling apart. All of a sudden you find the extra time to spend with your family. Imagine if you would have spent that time at the beginning of your marriage and, at the, and when your kids were young rather than at the end. Today, I want to change that. I want every one of us in this room to take a breath. And we're going to build breathing room into three areas of our lives, our time, our finances, and our relationship. Breathing room in our time. Do you always find yourself saying that I might be 15 minutes late or I might have to leave early to get everything done? At some point in your day, I suspect most of you probably say that. Make that phone call. I'm going to be 20 minutes late. I'm going to be 30 minutes late. Wait, I have to leave early. That's the only way I'm going to make it. That's the only way I'm going to get things done. Do you live a life of constantly go, 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 go? And once you've gone, you have to go, 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 go some more. And then go, 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 go over here. Your time is your life. To put it another way, as your time goes, your life goes. Where you're putting your time is where your life is going. Where your time is focused is where your life is focused. Our lives are ruled by our watches and by our calendars. What we say yes to and what we say no to is governed by what we've already said yes to and what we've already said no to. I have to say no to that because I said yes to this. I can't do that because I'm doing this. I promised, the work, I promised boss I'd get this done before I got home. So, honey, I can't go to your baseball game or I can't go to your concert. I told everybody I'd finish, I'd finish with these emails before I left work. So, no, honey, I can't come home. I won't be home in time for dinner. What we say yes to and what we say no to is governed by what we've already said yes to. We live in this perpetual back and forth between what is required of me to do and the things that I want to do. And the problem is that we neglect what I absolutely need to do. So I give time to the things I have to do, to the things I want to do, and I give no time to the things that I absolutely need to do. Can you understand why people are so wired all of the time? That this is their life, this back and forth pull. God controls the beginning and end of all things. And I think it's important to establish that line this morning, that God's in control of your time. He, in a sense, as as we said as a kid, God is father time, right? As a kid, you talk about father time. That is God. Most of us, and I dare say all of us, believe that God has something to do with the length of our lives. Because just what happens when somebody comes back, let's say it's a close friend, maybe this friend doesn't know God. Let's say they come back to you and say, I have cancer. Guess what you and that friend do? You pray, right? Lord, give me an extra day. Lord, give me an extra month. God, give me an extra week. So we understand that God is in control of our time. Yet in the brevity from everlasting to everlasting, our time is but a whisper. When you think of eternity, our little time that we're here is just a speck. But God doesn't view our time as just a speck. Our time is the most important thing that God can give us. So with all that in mind, would it not make sense that we would spend our time in a way that would bring glory to God? Since God's in control of it, God gave it to us. Should then we not spend it in a way that brings him glory? 
I think if we could see who God see God for who he is, we would be more careful with the time he has given us. If I really understood who God is, what God has given me, how God has blessed me, I would treat my time differently. What would your schedule look like if you believe that? How would your schedule change? Psalm 90, verse 12, and this is one that you probably all know. So teach us to number our days so that we may have a heart of wisdom. Teach us to live as our days are numbered and limited. That's where wisdom comes from, right? When we begin to understand my days are limited, I need to live them properly. That's wisdom. How many of you are going to live forever? And I talk about in the flesh. We could give the Sunday school answer, yes, you're going to live forever. (laughs) But in the flesh, how many of you in this room are going to live forever? How many of you plan your schedules like you're going to live forever? I bet most of you do, right? I can get that. I can get to that next week, honey. I can do that after I retire. We can do that when I have more time in my schedule. We plan our days like we're going to live forever. Yet none of us are going to. If we live like our days are numbered, like God says they are, we begin to think long and hard about how we use those days and about how we spend that time. We begin to refocus as to what is the priority and what is important. When we grasp this idea that our days are numbered, all of a sudden the things we say yes to and the things we say no to change. All of a sudden that extra email at work doesn't seem as important as my son's baseball game. All of a sudden that extra meeting or that extra sales call or that those 10 extra hours don't matter when my daughter has a concert or when my daughter has this or when my son has this or when my wife wants to do this. That's because I'm remembering that my days are numbered. Remembering that our time is limited will help us determine how we, are, how we are going to spend our limited time. They've done these, they've done these surveys and done these studies and, and of people who are within the last four weeks of their life. And they've asked them, what's one thing you regret? Did you know that not one person regrets not sending that extra email? Or one, per, one person does not regret those extra 30 hours a week at the office? People always wish that they would have spent time with the people that they love. Every single person at the end of their life says, I wish I would have spent more time with my wife and my kids and my friends and my family. Not one said, I wish I would have made one more sales call. Building some breathing room in our time is deliberately setting your schedule in a way that does not run you ragged. It's actually sitting down with the calendar and with what you have to do and say, how can I plan my time in a way that I'm not going to be dead by Wednesday? Viewing that time through the lens of God's eternity will motivate you to build in the breathing room, right? When you wake up and say, you know, I could be dead tomorrow. How's that going to impact your day? It's going to change a little bit, isn't it? It is determining what I can say yes to, but more importantly, What should I say no to? And when you guys sit and think at your schedule, there's probably a lot of things you should say no to that you don't say no to. But when you begin to look at your time differently, it becomes easier to say no to stuff. 
Stop trying to make it. One thing you always hear is like, I want to make it. And I have to do this so I make it. And I have to work harder so I make it. The question I have for you is what is it exactly that you're trying to make? Right way I'll say it. I'm trying to make it. Do we know what it is? Or do we just like saying I'm trying to make it? What has to go on your schedule that will allow you to step away from that edge and take a breath? You're living your life, guys, like here, right? My toes are over the edge. This is your schedule. You're over the edge. And every day you schedule yourself, you get more and more over the edge. And before you know it, you're falling over. What has to go away from your schedule to take a step back? Or two steps back or three steps back? Number your days so that you may gain wisdom. Take control of your time, and before you know it, you'll be taking control of your life. The second thing we're going to build breathing room in is our finances. Here we go with the finance talk again. I'm letting you know this is not a message about tithing. That's something we will do at a later date, but not today. (laughs) But I do want to talk about how maxing out our finances can impact you and impact the breathing room in your life. The first thing we need to understand is there is a big difference between standard of living and your quality of life. And we have to wrap our minds around this. However, in modern culture, we have been convinced that if we raise our standard of living, for example, if I get more of something, if I get a bigger something, or if I get a better or nicer something, that my quality of life will raise and improve. In society today, any one of us can raise our standard of living simply by incurring more debt. If I want it, I can get it. I may never be able to pay for it, but if I want nicer, I can get nicer. If I want bigger, I can get bigger. And if I want better, I can get better. I can mortgage my present and my future to achieve a higher standard in which I live. But the question I ask you is, has that improved your quality of life? Mortgaging your future to buy something now for standard living, is your life actually better? I would say your quality of life has not gotten better. As a matter of fact, I would dare say it has gotten worse because you're stressing out more about how am I going to pay the bills? How am I going to pay for this TV? How am I going to pay for this car? How are we going to feed the family? How are we going to do this? Because I decided because the Joneses had a nicer car, I needed one as well. Quality of life does not go up with standard of living. Would you rather have a stress-free enjoyable life or a stressed out, tapped out, on the edge type of life with really cool stuff? Because some of you, that's your life. I got really neat stuff, but I don't enjoy any of it. And I don't like the fact that my wife wants to talk to me about it. And you're stressed out all the time. A better standard of living does not create a better quality of life. Better discipline creates a better quality of life. Creating breathing room in your finances may decrease your standard of living, but it will increase the quality of your life. To build this breathing room, my standard of living might actually have to drop. But it's worth it because I can breathe. 
There are three things that I know for certain about all of us financially this morning. The first thing is that every one of us is living on a percentage of our income, and the majority of us have no idea what that percentage is. We're all living on a percentage, right? Between taxes and tithing and other stuff, there's a certain percentage you're living on. But how many of you actually know what that is? How many can say, I'm living on 70%, I'm living on 80%, I'm living on 50%? None of us really know that. And the other thing I know is the situation in your life drives the percentage. What's going on in my life determines what percentage of my income that I spend. If I've mortgaged my future because I want a standard of living, you're spending probably 100%, right? You're spending everything you get because I have to keep the image up. I have to pay for all this stuff. I have to do all these things. So your percentage is higher. The second thing I know is all of us at some point or another have told ourselves that if I had just a little bit more, I would be fine. If I made $10,000 more a year, everything would be okay. If I made 5000 if I made 1000 some of us, if I made a couple hundred bucks a week more, everything would be great. Is that true? Lifestyle, not percentage, drives our spending. We spend based on the lifestyle we've created for ourselves. Not on the percentage of money that we have to spend. The last thing I know, we all felt the same way when you made a lot less. Right? <laughs> when you forgot that first job out of college and you were making, you know, five bucks an hour and man, I can't wait till I make 30,000 a year. Then you hit 30,000 a year. I can't wait till I make 50,000 a year. So when you're making less, you felt the exact same way you feel today. So making more money didn't make any difference. In a perfect world, there would be a gap between what we bring in and what we spend. We know that the world's not perfect. But that gap, this is what I make in, this is what I spend, this gap is breathing room. And the bigger the gap, the more breathing room you have. Every one of us here this morning wants this, right? You all want this in your life. You don't want this. Most of us are living this, but we don't want it. We want this. I want to know that if I make $1,000 a month, I'm only spending $500 a month. Man, $500, that's a lot of breathing room. Wow. Some of us are more, some of us are less. Most of us, if I make 1500 a month, I spend 1499 a month. <laughs> some of us, if we make 1500 a month, we spend 1750 a month. We spend more than we make. That's our life. That is not breathing room. Life is less stressful, right, when you're breathing room? Those conversations with your wife or your husband or your friends or your kids change when there's breathing room. And everything is a lot more pleasant. Emergencies don't seem quite as dramatic with the breathing room. The car broke down. Hey, we've got some breathing room. It's okay. When you're living here and the car breaks down, it's I have no clue what's going to happen. I'm going to have to walk to work. I'm going to have to call my friends. I'm going to have to buy a bicycle, skateboard, whatever it is. Because there's no way I can fix my car. The majority of us do not have that gap in our lives. What we bring in goes out. What happens then is the, the never-ending cycle of life in, in this world we live in, but even more so in America, is we become slaves to our finances. 
Every decision I make is based on the finances. We can't go on a vacation because the credit card company says I owe them something. We can't do this because the mortgage company says I owe them something. We can't do this because the car company says I own for the car. Honey, I would love to take you to Disneyland. I can't because I owe them and I owe them and I owe them and I owe them. That's slavery, my friends. Doing what somebody else tells you to do is slavery. And we have all gotten ourselves into that point with our finances. Luke 16, verse 13. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And this is a verse everybody hears all the time. But I want you to really think about that. Right now in your life, whether you want to admit it or not, most of us are serving money. We're not serving God. Because we've got ourselves in a situation, I can't serve God because if I do, I'm losing my house and I'm losing this and I'm losing this and I'm losing this. I have to serve money right now. God cannot be our master because money is our master. We have stuffed our financial closet so full that we have forgotten our first love. And we've forgotten the one who has saved us and the one who would do anything in time and in earth and in eternity to be with us. So the question we have to ask is, how do we build some room in our finances? Three very simple processes, but very difficult as well. The first thing we have to do is decide that you actually want breathing room. Dave Ramsey puts it this way, you have to be sick and tired of being sick and tired. We all say that, I am sick and tired of this, I'm sick and tired of this. At some point, you have to grow sick and tired of that and and actually do something. Actually decide, I don't want to live this way anymore. And what's it going to take to not have to? I'm tired of chasing the Joneses, and I'm tired of leaving my family in the wake. And so I'm going to do something. Remember what I said earlier, it takes better discipline for a better quality of life. To change your finances, it takes discipline. As any one of us know, when it comes to money, we lose our ever-loving minds. <laughs> it takes discipline. The next thing you need to do is set a goal. What is my breathing room goal, as it's called? Dave Ramsey calls it an emergency fund. When you do financial peace, the first thing he tells you is you put $1,000 in an emergency fund. Guess what? $1,000 is breathing room. Me and my wife did that. We've had a bunch of car issues. Our emergency fund is now $200. But we didn't have to freak out about how are we going to pay for this car part. We were able to pay for it. That's what we call breathing room, guys. You have to decide. Some of you can't put $1,000. I understand that. But you could put 50 I bet you if you looked at your situation, looked at your finances, $50 is probably a lot. And that actually is when you can wake up in the morning and say, man, I've got $50 there. You can actually go through life a little bit. So decide what that goal is. And finally, you have to tell your money where to go and not vice versa. Most of us live our lives reacting to what our money says we have to react to. And I can say for me personally, one of the things that has has revitalized our marriage is sitting down and doing a budget with my wife. Getting that paycheck, sitting down, saying every dollar is going here, 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 and here. And to see the look on her face because she knows where every dollar is going, I wouldn't trade that for anything in the world. We actually tell our money where it's going to go. 
And so I want to encourage you guys to do that. G.I. Joe puts it this way. Knowing is half the battle. (laughs) So if you know where your money is going, it's half the battle. As you begin to tell your money where to go, a gap slowly begins to grow. As the gap grows, the stress slowly begins to go away. Before you know it, your finances are actually bringing you joy, not pain. You're actually honoring God because you can, and you're able to breathe again. Number three, breathing room in our relationships. In an effort to get the most out of life, we cram more and more and more and more and more and more into our lives. Because after all, my friends are doing it. After all, this guy at work who just got the big promotion, his life looks like this. So we just cram more and more and more and more into it. The more and more that go into our lives, the less and less we're able to breathe. And eventually something gives way. Unfortunately, for most of us that have been in that situation, the thing that gives away are the relationships that we have. Whether it's with kids, whether it's with wife or husband, whether it's with parents, whether it's with friends. Relationships are the thing that gives away. We damage the ones who are closest to us. And the ones that if I were to get you aside and say, what's the most important thing in your life, you would say your wife or your husband. Those are the ones who get damaged when you cram your life full. Is your wife and your husband. Or your kids. Relationships suffer the most in our attempt to be relevant, our attempt to matter, and like I said earlier, our attempt to make it. Because I'm trying to make it, I'm willing to sacrifice a relationship. As we strive to be the best we can be, it becomes very, very clear that there is not enough time to work at both. I can't be the best I can be at work and the best I can be at home. My schedule doesn't allow that. If I stay at work until everything is done, I would never see my wife or kids. And if I stayed at home until every daughter and wife had their fill, nothing would get done at work. How many of you feel like that this morning, right? I want to spend more time at home, but if I did, this at work wouldn't get done. I want to get more done at work, but then my family would suffer. It's the dichotomy of the world we live in. When you put relationships on hold for something else, you're handing that person a rock. And when you tell your wife, I have to work a few extra hours this week and next week and maybe over the next few weeks, you're handing your wife that rock. That responsibility that's yours, that was supposed to be yours, you've given to your wife or you've given to your husband or you've given to your kids. See here, hold on to this for a while. Guess what happens after time? What happens to the rock? It gets heavier and heavier and eventually the rock drops. And when the rock drops, that's when your wife says, I can't handle this anymore. I want a divorce. That's when your kids begin to quit asking you to do stuff because you never show up for it when they do. Because that rock, it gets dropped. The rock dropping equates to things like bitterness, anger, hatred, betrayal, separation, and divorce. And many of us have been there. The hard part about relationships, and and this is the part I understand about this, it's very hard to measure progress. When I go to work and I send the extra email, I make the extra sales call, there's a bonus for me in the end. 
When I go at home and spend more time with my wife and kids, it doesn't necessarily show up right away. And so it's really difficult to measure progress. To be honest, we get our pride puffed up a lot more at work than we do at home. And so for many of us, I'd rather stay at work because I get treated better than I would at home. <laughs> well, <laughs> unless you're an officer, then you know. That's not <laughs> All of us have worked hard at our jobs to prove we are committed to it. You know, I'm guilty of this as well. If I begin to change now, my level of commitment may be questioned. And my work could suffer for it, or my future at my work could suffer for it. But the thing I want to remind you is you made a commitment. You know, for me, it was 15 years ago. For some of you, it was earlier than that. Some of you, some of you haven't been married yet, and you're going to make a commitment sometime in the future. Ephesians 5.25, Jesus tells us this. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for the church. Here is the heart of the matter, guys and girls. Do you love your wife or husband or your future wife or husband like Christ loved the church? And when you stay longer at work every day, that's the question you're faced with. Today, I love work more than my wife or more than my husband or more than my kids. And we're very good as Americans of justifying it, right? Man, I love her and I got to do this because we got to be able to do these things. Are you willing to sacrifice the needs of your career for the needs of your spouse or children? Giving yourself up may mean looking at where your time and energies are going and making the hard decision to stop justifying it, but actually adjusting it and changing it. I want to be honest with you guys this morning. There are only two things that each of us were made to do that no one else on this planet can do and your career is not one of them. You were made to be a wife or a husband to your spouse and a parent to your children. And that's it. I wasn't made to be the GM of the movie theater. And the, and the Lord can find somebody else to do that. But no one else can be the husband of my wife. And no one else can be the father of my children. That's my job. So don't trade what is unique for you with something that somebody else can do. And like I said, I know some of you have very important careers and you're very important people. I understand that. But somebody else can do it whether you believe it or not. Here's a question I want to ask you. I want you to discuss this with your wife or friends or family or whoever when you get home. What does ideal look like for us? What does that look like? How do we balance this? We understand I have to be at work. I understand I have, there's things I have to do. I understand that I'm important. What does ideal look like? Some of you, you, maybe your kids are older, maybe the kids are out of the house and you can work more. That's understandable. Some of you have young kids who absolutely need mom or dad home. What is ideal and how can you make ideal work? Is your relationship with your spouse, your family, your friends, your children, 
worth talking about this question. Maybe they're not, maybe your relationship isn't worth it and it doesn't matter. But I would dare say that it is. I do not want to look back 15 or 20 years from now and wonder what God would have done if I would have trusted him with my time. What would he have done if I would have trusted him with my finances? Or what would he have done if I would have trusted him with the relationships I was in? And said, God, I I know you need me to be home. I'm going to be home. And I just have to trust that you're going to take care of what happens at work. Because I was willing to trust you with my eternity, I guess I have to be willing to trust you with this as well. But I don't want to be that guy on my deathbed. Wish I'd have been home more. It's too late. So stop worrying about trying to make it, about trying to be somebody, and start trusting that God will make you somebody. He'll make you the person he wants you to be. And most important thing, guys, take a breath and breathe. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, I want to thank you, Father, for this day. I just thank you so much, Father, for your word. And I know a lot of people in here, Father, we love you, and I understand that, Lord, and we read your word. And God, sometimes it's just not encouraging. (laughs) And I hate to say that, Father, but sometimes it just pierces the heart. When we read what your word has to say, and then we look at our lives and see where our lives are going and realize that they don't match up. Your word tells us, take care of our wives and our husbands as they, like they're the most important things to us, Father. But most of us in here neglect that because we've made work important. We've made our social standing important. We've made keeping up with the Joneses important. And we've pushed our spouses and our children to the side. And so, God, I pray that for the motivation, Father, to change that. I pray that you help us remember that you are in control of our time. And that none of us in here are going to live forever. And so, God, allow me to do the things and say yes to the things that are going to make the biggest impact. Not only to our families, but to your kingdom. And then trust that you're going to take care of the rest. Father God, finances is a big thing. And I understand that. And nothing gets our goat more than finances do. But Father God, it's important to remember that everything we have in our life has come from you. Every single thing. And you you talk about in the Bible how the birds are clothed with feathers and how the ground's clothed with grass and flowers and And you love us so much more than those things. And so, Father God, my prayer this morning as we begin to look at how we can build breathing room into our finances, Father, that first and foremost, we just trust that you know what we need, that you know what's good for us, and that you will provide and you will fill in the gaps. And then finally, Father God, I want to lift up our relationships to you right now. Father, I know many of us, and especially us men, Father, we've pushed our families aside and it hasn't been intentional. We haven't got up that morning and on purpose said, I'm going to ignore my wife and my kids today, but that's just the way it's gone. And Father, remind me that my most important job is a husband and my most important job is as a father. 
and to begin to move my schedule and, and the decisions I make go in the sense of how can I benefit that thing which is most important to me. And then, Father, give us the strength to do it and stand by it. Lord, we understand that breathing room can only come from you. And we understand that many of us in here are right on the edge, Father God. And one more thing, one more decision, one more financial trouble, and we're done. And so, God, take those people. Give them your love and your peace and your comfort. Tell them and let them know that you love them and you're going to care for them and you're going to protect them. And just let go of that and trust and allow God to build the breathing room in your life that he needs to. Father, we thank you for every opportunity we have to come before you. We thank you so much that you love us and you sent your son to die for us. And that, Father God, you knew what was going to be said today before we did. We love you, Father. We thank you. It's in your holy and precious name we pray. Amen.